Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Thank you for joining us and welcome to this very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your coffee-fueled host. Jesse Dollimore, and sitting across from me, that lady you've all grown to know and love, the beautiful and talented Brittany Page. You are excited. Well, it's just a different, <laughs> it is, I just think I realize yeah. I'm an addict. Addicted to coffee. Caffeine. You, why'd you have to step on the joke or the line? Of course it's coffee. No, I I just, I'm going to come clean, everybody. I got a big time heroin problem. I... <laughs> Well, there's always editing. I don't want to step on your joke. We can go back and you can give your spectacular joke. It's not a joke. It's not when I... Maybe this is going to be out. Yeah. <laughs> so things are not off to a good start. So listen, uh, episode 335. Yeah. A little low energy. Yeah. Super low energy. Yeah. It wasn't a good time. So we're doing a bonus episode to make up for it. Is that what you're saying? Well, no. Just now I have coffee. Okay. Yeah. We, we went to... Trader Joe's, and I got some coffee. Yeah, yeah. So I'm no now I'm back to normal, mm, Jesse. There you go. Took the edge off. Yeah. Was have have the coffee DTs. Yes. <laughs> well, we have a good show. We have a great show because and <laughs> we we got away from saying that, and now you know it really means something because we haven't been saying that every time. But this one is really great. It's Dr. Alan Francis again. Yeah, for a second time, and. He is looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. And if you didn't listen to our first interview with him, you should probably do that. But also we'll it's not a requisite, though. No, 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 no. But I have followed Dr. Francis for a long time, even before I got my bachelor's in psychology. I was a fan of Dr. Francis. I was following him on Twitter and he was kind of known as a skeptic of um, psychology, even though he's a psychiatrist and worked on the DSM. And he wrote the criteria for the narcissistic personality disorder for the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. <laughs> which is kind of like the Bible by which psychology and psychiatry diagnoses yeah. certain mental illnesses. Right. So that has all the criteria in there for the different disorders. And he was the chair for the task force that wrote the fourth version. So he is involved 
<laughs> in the process. He is an expert. He's the expert. Yes. Particularly of of narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, and so he he has he's a little bit of a skeptic though on some of these issues. He believes that there's diagnoses are misused and people are being prescribed too many medications and sometimes doctors are diagnosing when they shouldn't and he's a proponent of raising awareness for overdiagnosis or misdiagnosis yeah. Yeah. and he he's just an important voice in the psychology community. So if you don't follow him on Twitter, I suggest that you go follow him on Twitter and we'll put all that information in the show notes. And, and he's a good time. Last time he was on the show, it was uh, I like a guest that pushed back a little bit. Yeah, funny. funny. He, he was uh, he was it was uh, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, he's always a lot of fun. <laughs> and we like fun guests. Yes, good times. So let's stop messing around here and let's get to the interview. Without further ado, Doctor Alan Francis. Our first ever second time guest. You just couldn't get enough of us, I see. Is that uh, is that correct? <laughs> Actually, you guys are fun. <laughs> well, thank you're, you. You're, you're brightening up my otherwise bleak and, and lonely life. <laughs> oh, great. Wow. <laughs> if that's all it takes is a little bit of Jesse D and Brittany P., then that's a, that's a good thing. Well, it must be tough having to talk about Donald Trump so much. But you have this new new book. It's available right now. Twilight of American Sanity, A Psychiatrist Analyzes the Age of Trump. And you've been making the rounds talking about it. It still is such a prominent issue. People wanting to diagnose Trump with a mental health disorder. Why do you think this continues to be so popular? Well, Trump is our worst ever president, and not only a, a tremendous danger to American democracy, I guess the biggest since the Civil War, but also a threat to, to uh, world peace and, and sanity. Uh, it's a little terrifying for people to know that one day Donald Trump might wake up in the middle of the night and instead of doing a nasty tweet, call a general and have him press the nuclear button. So I think th there's a sense of... of um, of dread and of good citizenship that we should be doing something to contain or perhaps remove this guy from office. Mm -hmm. And so people that have no training uh, diagnosing him with a mental health disorder, they think that they're doing something by doing that. A lot of people with training in mental health, but maybe not much expertise in psychiatric diagnosis are trying to use the system as a lever to delegitimize him and hopefully to get him removed from office under Article 25 of the Constitution, which allows uh, Vice President Pence and a majority of the cabinet in a vote to uh, declare a president unfit and remove from office. Now, the trouble is that the people doing this don't know much about diagnosis, so the claims they're making are silly, that um, it's, it's insulting to the mentally ill to be lumped with Trump. They're nice people. He's not. Uh, he, they, most of them don't cause much damage to anyone else he does. And it's stigmatizing to be lumped with Trump. And, and more than anything, it, it's impotent. There's no way in the world that psychological name calling will get Trump out of office. And it's a distraction against what's the real way of getting him contained, which is congressional oversight. Um, I, I don't personally want Trump to be impeached because I think President Pence and Vice President Ryan 
would be much more effective in promoting his really dreadful policies. So that if Trump doesn't do anything disastrous in starting wars, he's a better grotesque face for horrible policies than to have two smooth politicians that will sneak the stuff through. If we had President Pence, we might have had a horrible health care bill. We'd have a uh, dreadfully unfair tax bill. They, they would be able to get the, the agenda that I think is, is in the long run horribly dangerous to America. They would be able to get it passed. The fact that Trump is so incompetent and so grotesque is in a way something in his favor as president because at least the policies are, are being stalled. I, I think that it, it, we, we shouldn't just be focusing on this one man's psychology. He's, he's transparent. We have to use him as a mirror on our soul. How did we get to the point where we could elect someone, someone so completely unsuitable for high office that we could elect him and put him in the position of, of destroying the, the futures of not only our country, but the whole world and making life so much more miserable for our children and grandchildren? So we, we, we mustn't be so distracted with Trump's psychology that we don't do the political things that are absolutely necessary and very apparent to, to contain him. And that we don't do the soul searching that, that should come from th this reflection, this you know, sort of funhouse reflection on what we're like, that we can elect someone like him. Yeah. Well, let, you mentioned the 25th Amendment. And while I still am on the fence about the whole diagnosis thing and whether it's good or bad, that's really not my lane. Um, the 25th Amendment is a political process. So it's not just for the audience's edification. Uh, the, the 25th Amendment reads, whenever the vice president and the majority of e uh, either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body of Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tem, blah, 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 their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. It's not a... It's not stated as a requisite way to get rid of a president who is mentally unfit. It's just someone who can't get the job done. So it's a political process. It's not if uh, the preponderance of psychological or psychiatric uh, experts in the country determine him to be unfit. That's just, I think, if if the, the, the tide of public opinion can turn, then that could be a mechanism. So you, you still, you think it's still damaging even if they were to get these people convinced that he is mentally, cognitively unfit to be president. Yeah, well, this will never happen. As you point out, both processes to remove a president, the, the 25th Amendment or the impeachment process through the uh, House and Senate, both of these are political processes. They both require a um, very strong uh, consensus amongst a whole bunch of people that the person is so unfit or has committed such crimes, high crimes and misdemeanors, that they can no longer function. The proof of how hard this is, is it's never been done. Yeah. So we've had, we've had a resignation with Nixon, but we've never had a process where the Senate actually convicted someone and removed them from office. And the idea that the Pence and the cabinet would ever remove Trump beyond his doing something beyond way beyond even what he's done now, that, that's never going to happen. First of all, Trump is probably not going to get much worse. He's been this way for 50 years. Yeah. It's not as if having an acute episode. He was always a terrific jerk. 
<laughs> There's never been a waking moment in his life that he hasn't been a terrific jerk. He has always done horrible, stupid things. He's always believed in conspiracy theories. He's always been a self-promoter who cared only about himself. There are no surprises here. He's the most transparent person maybe in the history of the world. So it's not like he's suddenly going to get much worse. He is what he is. The American people elected him. 35% of the American public still support him. He's not delusional. We are. And so we have to not imagine that we remove this sort of cancer and the rest of us go on you know, in full health. We have to contain this cancer. We have to do everything possible so his finger is not on the nuclear button. Congress has to pass clear statutes, legislation, affirming the Constitution, which says only Congress can declare war. Yeah. We've had many undeclared wars in these last 50 years. Presidents shouldn't be able to do that. And now that we know that Trump is so unstable, we don't want this president doing it. In a way, he's shock treatment. He's pointing out all the weaknesses in our democracy, and we have to shore up the institutional safeguards against his unstable actions. But the idea that a group of uh, psychiatrists will get together and agree he's too crazy to serve, and that Pence and then the cabinet will agree with him, that will never happen. First of all, you couldn't get the psychiatrist to agree. I don't agree that he's mentally unfit. I think he's he's politically unfit. I think his behavior is unfit, but I wouldn't get him out on a psychiatric diagnosis. You wouldn't get the, the mental health professionals to agree. And politically, it would be absolute suicide for Pence, Ryan, and the Republican Party to get rid of Trump if he still has the support of 30% of the public. So I think Trump will very likely be removed from office. I think it's a good bet. But it won't be because he was crazy. It would be because he's corrupt. And because he's done awful things, it'll be because he, he and his family were involved with the Russians before the election and maybe have been involved in ways they shouldn't have been since the election. Sure. That Mueller will find all sorts of, of weird dealings that, that the Trump corporation was doing with the Russians all along, that there'll be many other aspects of corruption that may be turned up during the investigation. I think that that's the route. If there is to be a route, that's the route of removal. Again, I'm not for it. But I think it, it, it's much more likely, I'd say like 100 to 1, that if he is removed from office, maybe 1,000 to 1 or 10,000 to 1, it would be through the impeachment process in Congress, not Pence and the cabinet uh, gathering together a group of psychiatrists. So the three most common diagnoses that you, you see people floating out there for Trump are narcissistic personality disorder, delusional disorder, and then dementia or some sort of cognitive issue. And like you said, people might be able to admit, yeah, he's always been a jerk. He, we've seen that over his whole life. He's been a jerk. He's always believed these conspiracies. Um, but this new thing that people are talking about to support their idea for some sort of cognitive issue or dementia is his decline in linguistic ability. So people have analyzed his interviews from the 1980s and 1990s and said, oh, he used to use such sophisticated language. <laughs> what happened? He's using big words. And now he doesn't use those big words. And some of these articles say, oh, we've talked to experts and they say it could be an issue in brain functioning. But I read that and I say, oh, well, couldn't that also be uh, the fact that he's now 71? Uh, stress. He's constantly talking. He's constantly lying. He doesn't have an actual thing to say, so he's trying to make things up on the spot. I mean, other, aren't there other explanations here other than going to cognitive impairment? Oh, sure. I mean, like I'm giving a lot of talks about this book. Yes. And it's very hard to find new things to say. 
<laughs> and so if I'm boring your audience, it's because I've been saying stuff like this before, and I'll be saying it again later. Don't, don't even worry about that. I've been boring my audience for years, Dr. Francis. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not denying that. Um, I'm also not calling you demented. The, the, uh, the fact that his language is simpler and more repetitive fits completely with his conducting a reality show presidency. So Trump is not your usual president. He's someone who's brilliantly orchestrating the um, ways of getting the highest possible ratings for Trump and for the White House. And if, if he found certain words that are triggers, they get the audience clapping. Yeah. And if he loves clapping, he'll use those words over and over again. If he's dealing with a less sophisticated audience, and he is, he's going to use language that will appeal to them. That language worked. He got elected president. So you have to you have to give him credit for being crazy like a fox and that when we say he's demented, we're underestimating the, the, the effects, the positive effects he has on his particular audience. And we may not like the views of that audience. We may not like his views, but we shouldn't call him demented. If he's able to be um, uh, to command 35 percent of the American public, their loyalty day in and day out, despite all the crazy things he's doing, crazy, despite all the horrible things he's doing. We, we get it. It's colloquial or it's become colloquial to, to use the phrase. The idea, the idea about um, delusional disorder. Trump learned conspiracy theater, uh, theories at the uh, at the feet of the, of the absolute master Roy Cohn. For those of you not old enough. McCarthy. Yeah, he was the brains behind McCarthy. As a 24-year-old as a lawyer, he helped uh, McCarthy conduct witch hunts. And his whole career was based on conspiracy theories. Trump sought him out. He was Trump's lawyer against um, suits by the Justice Department because Trump was discriminating. This goes back to Trump's 20s. He was discriminating against black people in his apartment buildings. And there was an extensive lawsuit, and he learned from Roy Cohn to attack the enemy and to attack the enemy with conspiracy theory. So when he came up with the Bertha thing about about Obama, that was Roy Cohn's playbook. Hmm. When he comes up with theories that China is creating global warming hoaxes to hurt our economy, this is the Roy Cohn playbook. Fifty percent of the American public believes at least one conspiracy theory. Thirty-five percent of the American public still supports Trump, despite all the crazy things he does. A delusion means that you're a minority of one. If you believe something really dumb, really stupid, and very dangerous, but 35% of the American people agree with you, that's not a delusion anymore. Hmm. So the idea that he has the mental disorder, delusional disorder, is it's a colloquial misuse of the psychiatric system. Dementia makes no sense. Do, so you, hang, do you mean from a, from a a diagnosis standpoint it's not? Because let me say... There's a lot of Scientologists. There are a lot of members of different religions that have what are classifiable delusional beliefs uh, that 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 stand outside of the realm of reality. But because they're they're strength in numbers, it's not really delusion. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, if you're a Martian and you learn that um, more than half of the world's population believe that a, a guy born in the desert. 2,000 years ago was the son of God. You'd say that's a pretty strange belief. If one person held it, it would be a delusion. When uh, billions of people hold it, it's a religion. Hmm. Even even wrong. It could, it's still yeah, wrong, not wrong delusion. Wrong is not We're wrong about, you know, in the history of the world, people have been wrong about almost everything most of the time.
that doesn't make you delusional. It has to be a bizarre belief that that um, is unshakable in the face of incontrovertible evidence, and that is personal to that individual, not held by a large social cultural group. Hmm. Religious. That's interesting. So he's not delusional. He's no more delusional than 35% of the American public that might believe in Bigfoot or UFOs or a Kennedy conspiracy theory or that uh, 9-11 didn't happen. We have large segments of our population that, that believe very strange things. That doesn't make them delusional if they're part of a social network that also believes them. Huh. And Trump uses, and let me just say this, Trump is, again, crazy like a fox. He uses the, the birther idea about Obama, absolutely absurd. But it launched him to the presidency. He uses these um, what to the rest of us seem like very strange, quotes, crazy statements. He used uses these cleverly in the reality show that's made him president. Yeah. So six months ago when you were on with us, you said you were in the you were in the final stages, the final throws, if you will, of writing this book. But you had started a year and a half or longer before before Trump, you know, became the phenomenon that he is, the crisis that he is, what were you intending with this book pre-Trump? I was essentially saying that the, the society was crazy. Hmm. And um, bringing Trump on board is like the clearest example that um, the direction I was afraid of was that, that we were steaming ahead along that path much faster than I ever anticipated we could. And he's, of course, making everything worse. But the, the presumption of the book was that we, we're facing a series of existential threats to humanity and to our country. And that instead of facing those threats straight on with, with clear reality-oriented vision and policies, we were putting our head in the sand and, and having societal delusions that protected us from taking action now, but which would result in, in terrible futures for our children and grandchildren. So the, the uh, most obvious is global warming. We're we now about to have the third yeah. in a series of three once-in-500-year hurricanes happening within three weeks. Um, it takes a rare blindness to say that we shouldn't be worried about global warming. We take out life insurance not because we expect to die tomorrow, but because we want to avoid risk. We need to be taking out global warming insurance right now, doing everything we possibly can do, be doing as a people and as a world to prevent this horrible, horrible um, potential for billions of people dying. The, the um, possible end result of this is unimaginable. We've tripled the world's population during my lifetime. It's amazing. Tripled the world's population in my lifetime. That's, that happened because we had cheap oil and because we had fairly stable climate. If you take away the cheap oil, which is happening, if you don't provide sustainable energy sources and therefore befoul your environment with global warming, we could have a population crash that's as rapid as the population growth was. And we were ignoring that. And then Trump comes on board, and what does he do? He picks someone for the Environmental Protection Agency who's a sworn enemy, who's yeah. been suing it his whole career, and who's now in the process of destroying it. He picks a cabinet filled with energy company executives and hacks They're in the process of deregulating every conceivable way of producing more carbon. Um, the the um, society that allows ourselves to do this to our children and grandchildren, that society is crazy. Yeah. And so the book was seeing these trends before Trump 
and he's accentuated everyone. The other major one in terms of um, the possibility of a mass human die-off is overpopulation. So that the, if you look at the trouble spots around the world today, every single one of them has had a tripling or quadrupling or a sextupling of population since 1950. And all of them are located in areas of, of natural resources that, that are quickly being used up, uh, water's running out, energy's running out, and you have this weird, horrible situation of terrible overpopulation, continuing high birth rates, and the stuff to um, live on is no longer there. When you look at the refugee camps, it's heartbreaking to see all these babies. Yeah. How ridiculous to be having this tremendous population splurge in places that can't feed or, or, or give water to the people who are already there. What does Trump do? First target, after three days in office, Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And the next thing he does is cut all funding for birth control <clears throat> and, and abortion services uh, that are delivered by the UN and international NGOs. And if you go down the line, I, I list 13 societal delusions we just talked about, too. But if you go down the line of the 13, every single one of them, Trump is aggressively making worse. That our societal sickness, of which he's just a surface symptom, has been aggravated because he's taken steps to make the, the delusions even worse, to, to make to institute policies that will increase all the bad things that, that we're leaving for our kids. So the book was there before Trump, and I see him again as a window in our soul. We have to not just castigate him or think that we solve our problems by removing him. Uh, we, we've met the enemy, and he is us. I think that's a great point, obviously, and I it's it's frustrating for I think me and Jesse. I don't want to speak for him, but a lot Why of not? a lot of the <laughs> I, I, I should speak for him. You're more right. More often than not, she should speak for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these issues are so tied to political polarization, where it's difficult to get through to somebody on a rational level, saying, "Hey, here's the evidence for this," because there's that wall up of, "Well, no, my my political side, right? My in group is saying this, and I want to be in that group, so I I can't agree with you." So it's really difficult to get through to somebody on those terms, and I'm hoping that through conversations and and through things like your book, people will be able to see that no, these issues are more important than tribal politics. I think there's good news and bad news here. The good news is that the American public is still a lot more sensible than American politicians. So the political process is much more polarized than the American people are. But it, the bad news is that we have become much more polarized in the last 50 years. And that's not by accident. Uh, there's been a lavishly funded, devilishly clever campaign to um, propagandize the notion that the biggest problems in America are have to do with immigrants or have to do with um, who's going to be in what bathroom, that the um, right-wing, uh, radical, uh, billionaire element has backed a, um, a series of think tanks, talk radio, um, conservative newspapers, conservative – not conservative, let's call them radical. That's their radical right, um, internet channels – that, that uh, there's a tremendous amount of disinformation which now coalesces in Trump with the idea that he's, he and they are telling the truth and that the real truth is fake news. So that um, 
I'm optimistic in the sense that the American public is still a lot better than politicians. I'm pessimistic because the tremendous power of communication now is being misused in the direction of misleading people against their best interests. But I, I have a feeling that Trump may be just the shock treatment we needed to um, first have insight into our societal delusions and then begin acting to correct them. Uh, I think he's going to be losing his support. It's already peeling off. Yeah. And he's, he's lost maybe 10 percentage points during the, this um, first eight months in office. But I think he's going to start losing patriots who love their country and may begin worrying about a president who seems to be more in bed with Putin and the Russians than believing his own intelligence services. I think that uh, people who aren't Nazis and um, Ku Klux Klan white supremacists and who aren't anti-Semites might begin worrying about a president who can't tell the difference between them and the rest of us and won't want to be associated with them. I think that people who are threatened, uh, whose health care is threatened because of Trump care may have been fervent supporters before, but when the they can't send their, take their kid to the emergency room uh, with a high fever. They may begin to warn, wonder about Trump as their, as their uh, prophet, realize he's a false prophet. I think the tax bill that's going to be coming up this month is going to screw most people and be an amazing giveaway to the rich people and the corporations. And people will begin wising up to that. And most obviously, the religious support for Trump. Never been a more immoral man in, in, in high office in America. There's never been anyone more opposite to Jesus Christ in America that the um, or the world. The, the, the Jesus Christ was a lover of the poor and a preacher for charity. Donald Trump is a man who steals medical coverage from the poor to give a tax break to the rich. Jesus Christ never once preached against gay marriage, gay love, or abortion, even though gay love and abortion were very common in the Roman Empire that he lived in. He never preached against it. He always preached against religious hypocrites, and he said that rich men like Trump had as much chance of getting into heaven as a camel through the eye of the needle. So I think that religious voters who, who you know read their Bible, do Bible study about this, will start not believing the evangelical leaders who've sort of sold their souls to Trump, made a pact with the devil to support him for the narrow uh, purposes of, of blocking uh, abortion and, and, and gay marriage, that that's not Christianity. Christianity, Jesus Christ, is love and charity and taking care of the poor, not giving tax breaks to the rich uh, so that you can uh, help them and, at, the, at the expense of the health of, of, of most of the population. Yeah. Well, a lot of this, and we'll we'll wrap we'll wrap here, so we don't go off on another rabbit hole. But a lot of this could be avoided, or at least curtailed, by getting money out of politics, because every single aspect of this that we've talked about in this last part of this conversation could be dealt with, you know, in a, in a certain degree by not giving power through money, by curtailing the the Johnson Amendment, giving evangelicals the ability to to uh, to uh, endorse candidates from the pulpit um, with this extreme right wing, these radical groups that they get involved in money and politics with PACs, this soft money, almost untraceable amounts of money that can be poured into there. I mean, it's that's where we need to maybe not start, but that's certainly something we need to address. Um, we the America was a worker's paradise until 1970. 
and that's why we attracted people from all over the world. The income of the average guy has gone down in real terms since then. Yeah. The money accumulated in the hands of the very rich in the corporations. And they have unlimited funds to distort the political process and to brainwash people. And they've used it very cleverly and successfully. And I think that the um, what the book says is that we have to take the country back, that the political process is broken. That's why Trump got elected. But we can't repair it through this false prophet. We have to repair it by getting back to American values, to finding those positions where we can forge a consensus. And if, if you look at the book, you'll see that there are many situations where it feels like the polarization is so great we couldn't possibly come up with legislation that would be possible. It would be if there weren't so much money in the background distorting the political process. And basically the, the message is don't look to us, the very rich and the corporations. Don't look to us when you want to blame the inequality, the enormous inequality of America. It's the immigrant who's to blame. It's it's the uh, person who doesn't have the same religious views that you that you have. Let let's go after them. It's it's the divide and conquer strategy. And we have to realize that there's much more that unites America than divides us. If if only we could get the money out of politics. So, Dr. Francis, are you running <laughs> for political office? <laughs> I have always been the most politically inactive person you can imagine. I was missing in action during all of the uh, racial um, and, um, and and war demonstrations that occurred you know, when I was a younger person. And it, it's only as I get older and feel guilty about what we're doing to our children and grandchildren that I feel uh, a responsibility to be engaged. And that's well, why we're Well, we're, we are very glad you are. Uh, we are looking forward to reading your book. It was just released. Again, Twilight of American Sanity, a psychiatrist analyzes the age of Trump by the lovely and talented Dr. Alan Francis. Dr. Francis, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate your perspective and your willingness to engage um, your, your younger days of political inaction, notwithstanding you're doing yeoman's work now. Yes, thank you. Well, thanks for the opportunity. All right. As I always say when we end this, that was a good time. I think that went well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I just ordered the book. I would have read it before the interview, but it just came out yesterday, I think. Yeah, there was no time. And so that wouldn't have worked out. But I have already ordered it. I'm going to read it. I'm really excited. And you can tell he's very passionate about this issue. And... With with all the people that want to be diagnosing Donald Trump, I know that he is primarily concerned about professionals doing it. I think I'm concerned just about everyone doing well, it. Well, when I diagnose Trump, nobody takes me seriously as someone who knows. Well, no, I understand that. But the talk of it just seems so futile. I don't know. It it It's also weird to me that so many people feel like they're capable of talking about this issue as though they're an expert on it. And I'm like, you know, if, if all the people that were on Facebook diagnosing celebrities with mental health problems and talking about Donald Trump's mental illnesses, if they actually had the education and training to work in like low income clinics, we probably wouldn't have right. a crisis where people don't have access to the mental health care they need but because that... we'd have all the people working and fulfilling <laughs> that need. 
that, you know? t- that takes effort, though. Going to school, they would have to actually dedicate themselves to something rather than just firing off shitty posts on Facebook. Well, and that's the thing. And I don't <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, people view clinical psychology as a soft science and so they feel capable without any training or education of just going online and reading the DSM requirements and then saying, oh, yeah, 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 that fits what my brother is. Um, you know, it's I just don't a even weird... Think they read the DSM. I think what they do is read someone who describes what the DSM says and then make their determination. Yeah, but I, and I think Dr. <laughs> Francis is fair, right? He doesn't like Donald Trump. Yeah, oh, so no, yeah. So if he was being motivated... Chief among his critics. Yeah, if he was being motivated by a bias against Donald Trump, you'd think that he would be all for saying whatever yeah. he needed to say to get him out of there but no he's being very metered here and saying listen i don't like the guy <laughs> he's a bad person but this isn't the method through which to criticize him i also like the fact and i would encourage everybody to get this book i, I like the fact that there's it- it's not just shitting on donald trump it's it's talking about the this the, the separate major existential crisis that we face right now you know, uh, climate change being chief among them, but also a population explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, if it weren't for people like a guy named Norman Borlaug, who who pioneered GMO technology, if you will, and how to increase crop yields to feed our exponentially expanding population, um, we would have, be in a very tight spot right now because... With conventional, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but with conventional um, farming, we wouldn't, we would not right now have the ability to feed the number of people on the planet with the land we have. That's a problem. And I love that he talks about supporting Planned Parenthood and different family planning objectives throughout the world. And it is a problem that Donald Trump is starkly opposed to that he is ratcheting up the 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 rate at which we are facing these particular existential crises but even he's trying to change the conversation from donald trump to society so yeah it. it is a problem that donald trump is ratcheting up the fervor surrounding the discussion of these issues but it's a problem that society is agreeing with him yeah. or following his lead. That Donald Trump is just another shitty symptom of what ails us as a society, as a culture, and ultimately as a civilization. So, good book. Can't wait to read it. It's going to be a good time. Just like it was a good time talking to him. We are going to leave you there. Thank you for joining us. Listen, if you're new to the program, or even if you have been around for a while... We are a listener-supported, listener-produced podcast. If you would like to support the work we do, these bonus episodes that we provide, the twice-weekly, over-hour-long episodes relative to news and comment and the, the, the different, separate uh, existential crises that face us every day, we would love to have your support. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. That'll redirect you to the Patreon where you can give a monthly small donation, the cost of a cup of coffee, or you can go to dollamore.com slash PayPal for a one-time shot. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us this time and always. 
For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Don't don't <laughs> even worry about that. I've been boring my audience for years, Dr. <laughs> Francis. Yeah, I, I, I'm not denying that. Um, <laughs> MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 